This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know this that I know. This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, I know that I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Solve for Why vlogcast. This is episode number 31, and I have a special co-host with me today, Tom Wheaton, the man, the myth, the driving force behind, first of all, Faded Spades cards, and now uh, the Above the Felt Entertainment. So welcome. What's uh, up, Bert? I know we have a lot to talk about today. No doubt. How, uh, how did you find yourself in Vegas, first and foremost? It was crazy, and it's really uncomfortable. Because the last time I saw you was a year ago. Okay. You literally landed after Austin and COVID blew up, right? Yeah. I haven't traveled since then. Yeah. So opportunities came up after Above the Felt launched to have some business meetings about that here. And then a couple things on the Faded Spade side. And I said, well, you know what? Why not fire up the WPT 5K over at Venetian too? So first time traveling in over a year. You're, uh, you're going to lie to everybody and pretend like this was a business trip. I have to have a certain story from my beautiful wife right. and make sure that she knows there are also business reasons for being mm -hmm. in Vegas. Come on, bro. Yeah, 15-minute <laughs> cup of coffee with some guy who has been in a casino before. You know, land a 20K deal and just roll over right. and play some poker. Right, right. That's how so we roll. How many bullets do we have in the, in the arsenal for this 5K? Maybe two. Okay. Probably one. Okay. I don't have like the Berkey 5 on me. Right. But we'll see. I've got a couple investors behind the scenes. Okay. I didn't put up a use stake this time because it was such short notice. But it feels good to be here now. The way to get here was just it was just weird. It felt weird like yeah. doing something new for the first time because it's been so long since Yeah, travels here. travels weird, man. I've probably taken four flights over the last year. I went to Cleveland for my friend's uh father's funeral. I went to Austin for the meetup, and I went to uh Houston for a business meeting. So roughly six flights round trip it's different it's just weird it's different the last one was most different i think because airlines are back to full capacity yeah so like seeing the middle seat get filled again i'm just like i feel a little <laughs> grimy here dude i had no shame i took the backpack and just threw that shit up right in the middle seat i yeah. didn't care who you didn't flew like southwest it. yeah I flew so southwest. southwest i think is still like largely not 100 percent capacity for most flights the flight to Dallas wasn't. The flight from Dallas to Vegas was packed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I did take two other flights. I flew to uh, um, Aspen. And there was fine because it was like a puddle hopper. So it was just single seats. Mm -hmm. But on the way back, it was cramped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every seat was full. Like 100% capacity. I'm just like, this feels too soon. Everybody I talk to, it feels too soon. Yeah. Yet it's like... At the same time, it's like, okay, let's get life going again. Yeah, yeah. Right? Let's get poker going again. Yeah. And let's get business going again. Like, I remember the last time traveling to Vegas was like December 19 for the Bellagio Five Diamond mm -hmm. and having a great run, feeling like all this momentum on the poker side. And then it was like, you're done for a while. Yeah. Right? And then it was after Austin, man. Remember, you had that great um, weekend. Yeah. Um, I had like... Literally six figures of business locked up verbally from four different towns in Vegas, fly home or in Texas, sorry, fly home. And then it's like, that's all gone. Yeah. Because yeah. COVID just happened. And it's just been, you know, we've all been living in this 2020 kind of situation, wondering when the right 
time is to get back to what we were doing in 2019. And I think that's starting to happen a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's just a matter of like mandates, right? yeah. Like we just can't do live academies whenever businesses are only allowed to be 33%. Um, but along those lines, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you pivoted during COVID because obviously you're a brick and mortar company first and foremost. Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was one of those situations where the end of 2019, it was like, I had lost my corporate job again. Like the first time I lost it was three years before that I started faded spade and the end of 2019, I lost another one because of layoffs, a private sale mm -hmm. and things were great. I was still doing faded spade part-time and the corporate job full-time. And I looked at my wife and I said, look, I'm just going to go all in on this now. Like the brand is built. We've got a ton of promise. It's time to just go full time, pull what I can from the business. She fortunately has um, a good salary from the work she does. And literally 2020 was the year to go full time. And yeah. we said, we've got 12 to 18 months. We're going to make this shit happen. We're going to do it. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And like I talked about all the new business we had out the door, right? All the existing business we had, we're not going to get repeat purchases until like 2021. Yeah. So I was like, what are we going to do? And the only thing we could think of was pivot to something virtually to just connect home game players and maybe make it a subscription model. So we did. And it was all right. It helped pay the mortgage. You know, it helped keep that plus the e-commerce business. You know, the company's still growing a little bit. Um, and then we got this completely awesome referral from DraftKings to a company called Morning Brew. Big media company, new age media company out of New York. And they said, we want to run a big corporate virtual poker tournament, white label brand it, live stream it, get a bunch of like notable poker players involved, business people. And would you help us do that? We don't want to use some of the other companies out there that are much more well known in this mm. space. I said, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Figured it out. We crushed it. Thank God. A bunch of great people from poker came in, business leaders like the COO of Twitter, CEO of Slack, all these uh, president of NASDAQ played in it, raised over like 250K. And all of a sudden, man, we just got a flood of inbound leads. And at this time, it was just me. And I said, this is our new business model. Yeah, We are going to do virtual poker for the corporate world, for nonprofits, built a team around it, built processes around it. We're running it like a software as a service business and the thing is just to the moon right now thank god it's honestly really great uh i had the pleasure of like being a co-host on one of the ones with morning brew and uh first of all kinsey grant is like <laughs> the best yeah she's just so good at what she does uh for those of you who are unaware um she does she hosts a podcast i don't think it's called morning brew right it's called daily or no i'm gonna hate myself for this but it's called the business Damn it, I don't remember what it is. Yeah, it's funny because I have it saved as one of my spots. It's a clever products. name, yeah. Um, but I only remember it as Morning Brew. Uh, but that's actually the company itself. Uh, you you could search it either way. Um, but it's, it's mainly like bringing in business insiders to kind of discuss entrepreneurialism, um, growth, finances, uh, all, all of these metrics that go into building and sustaining companies. Uh, she's fantastic at it and she played really well as a host for these types of things. The event felt big, like despite it being virtual, it felt like, I don't know, there was like some sort of buzz. You know, I got to speak with Nate Silver, um, you know, some of the aforementioned people that, that you brought up prior. Uh, there, there were just like so many figureheads that 
are people you just don't have access to in the real world. Yeah. And suddenly everybody's just coming together over a Zoom call. Um, I think it was a really smart pivot, a really interesting take on something that kind of already existed, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I think like the big deal was just like putting the emphasis on almost like run of show. Yeah. Right. More so than the gameplay or the graphics or the hand versus hand or the poker stuff, right? Like that stuff is a nice vehicle to to drive interest, but it's it's background noise. It's crazy because it's poker that brings everyone together, mm-hmm. but the real purpose behind it is just the connectivity of the people. Yeah. And if it's a nonprofit, it's the actual fundraising because so many nonprofits, they were hurting. Mm-hmm. If nonprofits don't have employees to work their business, then they not, are not able to run the programs that help provide the funds to the the causes they support, right? And it's doing all that. Um, and that's what I love about it. We get paid for it. Nonprofits are a business. We charge for it. We charge a market value, you know, rate for it. But our nonprofit customers are getting like, on average, 12 to 1 ROI. Yeah. And you've got so many people that come into it from the business world and the poker world that it's like, poker isn't a zero-sum game when you're using it for this purpose. Right. You know? And then on the flip side, all these corporations want to do it because they're looking for ways to connect their people. Yeah, I, I think that there's still probably some meat on the bone too. Um, you know, Christian kind of brought this up once in a previous podcast of poker may be easier or some game, but like content creation is not. Nope. And it should be a positive some game. And I think that just even looking back on like those morning brew events, um, there's a lot of meat on the bone to clip out segments of that, uh, to drive it through social, to actually leverage that, both for your brand as uh, an up and coming platform or host yep. and them to kind of demonstrate like, you know, we are this new age company that's willing to kind of uh, reach a little bit to, to entertain our clients. I've had people call me and just say, how are you not clipping all these great, you know, uh, segments with the celebrities that come on yeah, or with the poker personalities and influencers that come on? Like, why are you not clipping this out and promoting it everywhere? And it's just, it's skill hard, set and man. time, man. Like it's so hard. We just I don't know how you highlights. do what you're doing, man. I have. We, I, I mean, have... we literally just started doing highlights, right? So I have somebody dedicated to clipping out the highlights. I have somebody dedicated to timestamping it. These two things not that difficult, right? On top of that, now somebody also has to be in charge of the marketing messaging, yep. the social media, yep. and uh, the thumbnail slash graphic art that, that's combined with it, right? I'm basically taking over all those three things. And it's not that I can't delegate that stuff, right? It's almost more so that like this aspect of the business is therapeutic. Right. For me to spend two hours creating uh, a thumbnail that like doesn't take much brain power, <laughs> it's more relaxing than like trying to figure out it's what therapy. the next quarter of market. Yeah, yeah, it's therapy. And sometimes like, I don't know if you relate to this as an entrepreneur, but it's like sometimes you find yourself working on the things that are more therapeutic. Oh God! Yeah. Instead of like the things you need to do to move For your sure. business forward, and it's like the biggest freaking conundrum because it's just like I know I should be doing this really tough, hard work to build my business for the next like year. Yeah. But you know what? I'm gonna come on over here and I'm gonna write this blog article, or I'm gonna create yeah. this graphic that goes with that blog article. But I, I think that I think that like I really do believe in patience, right? Yeah. And you're just not gonna do your best work whenever you're not in that t- mind f- mindset. Yeah. There's times where I'd never wanna create a thumb again. <laughs> and that's good because that means I'm just delegating that bullshit work to somebody else. Yeah. And I'm actually focused on that big thing that's been sitting on my plate looming over me for a while. Yeah, and, well it's hard also in the middle of a pandemic when you have to tighten up the budget. Yeah. 
to bring on employees to actually help with that stuff. So as a founder, it just winds up on your shoulders. And I sure. think the businesses that make it through that time and this time are the founders who are rolling up their sleeves and doing the work, right? Yeah. And putting in the grind, just like they were maybe four years ago, five years ago when they were building yeah. the business to start. I mean, I, I you know, I, I can't speak for everybody who's ever started a business, but if you're the founder of a company, you're almost certainly getting your hands dirty. It's yeah. pretty impossible not to, uh, unless you just come with too much money, in which case, oftentimes your burn is too high to to ever sustain anyway because you're just willing to throw paper at whatever little problem comes your way and that's just not very conducive to riding the the bumpy road that is uh building a business so yeah i don't, I don't want to like prop up the whole idea of like oh i'm out there getting my hands dirty sending emails and <laughs> it's a have to and, do man and it's making thumbnails do. and shit like that it's like yeah you know you, you just have to you have no choice and <laughs> and you know it's better than anybody else you started a secondary company now uh, yeah. uh with above the felt entertainment yeah it's pretty wild man i you know like this has been on my mind for a few years mm -hmm. you know and um there are very few select people in the industry that i've become friends with and um, have gained like a mutual respect and trust for right over the last four years obviously you're at the top of that list you know jamie um darren and chris developing those relationships but i have been doing this type of like work helping people get gigs in the corporate world or help them with their influence and consult on what they they could be getting when they work with a poker room. And then I've also do, done that for the poker room side of the business. Yeah. Where like I help them bring in influencers who are gonna help drive their bottom line. Or I consult with poker businesses on marketing campaigns. I've just been doing this stuff on the side. And I've almost avoided doing this because of focusing so much on Faded Spade. But once Faded Spade gained its traction back and I was able to hire a team again, and shout out to the Faded Spade team who was just crushing it on both the virtual poker side and the poker playing card business. If it wasn't for them, literally, and me being able to step out of the day-to-day -day on that side and just focus on high-level strategy, I wouldn't have been able to build above the felt. But really, it was one of those things where I was at that point saying, okay, now is the time if I'm gonna do this and build a talent and marketing agency, now's the time to do it. I really believe that the industry needs it. I never believed in myself as someone to be that connector. You've actually helped me with that through the years, whether you know it or not. And I knew if we got the right people involved and built the right brand and launched it the right way, it could be received really well and it could add a ton of value to businesses in the industry. And then we're going to wind up building a ton of value for businesses out of the industry while spreading the good spirit of the poker industry. Yeah. And we launched three days ago and I am amazed at the feedback so far. From, from industry leaders, from poker players. It has almost validated like this is needed and this is something that the industry was thirsty for, mm -hmm. but maybe didn't know how to, to start something like this. And it really was just a natural evolution, man. It really was. And, and now the hard work's gonna begin. Yeah. Now the hard work's, the, the brand's out there. Now we build our blueprint for you and Jamie and Darren and Chris, and we just, we just go. So to, to give the viewers a little bit more of an understanding of what this actually is, first, first and foremost, your background is in corporate marketing. So yes. uh, essentially like uh, your strongest skill set is going to be brand development. It's right. going to be uh, building these relationships, leveraging, whether it be name power, brand power, whatever the case may be. Uh, I guess tell them a little bit more about who's involved, what the ultimate mission statement is, sure, uh, like what you hope to achieve in the short and long term. Sure. So 
Above the Felt Entertainment, call it a poker talent and marketing agency. So the mission is this, within the industry, we wanna be able to connect operators, players, businesses for mutual business benefit, whether it's on the experiential side or the economical side. Let's give an example. So let's say Poker Room in Florida is having their annual big event, right? It's their biggest event of the year. $250, $500 buy-in, maybe it's like a couple hundred thousand dollar guarantee. It's not like the big WPTs, it's not the WSOP, et cetera. It's your everyday poker player playing at these poker clubs, right? When you involve somebody like you or Jamie or Chris or Darren in that experience for a player, it gives them like a one of a kind, unique experience. Poker rooms, I'm just using this as an example, would then like hire you to come on out and they can use your likeness. They can work with you to say, hey, look, you can come and play with Matt Berkey. Matt Berkey's going to play on our live stream. Matt Berkey's going to give a 30 minute three bet, you know, session before the tournament starts. That's going to help put incremental butts in seats. It's going to help increase their brand favor. It's going to put extra views on their streams. And that type of influence that you've built and other people in the industry has, have built should be rewarded because it's going to help you. It's going to help the business we're working with grow their business. And it's going to give fans this unbelievable experience. So like, that's one mission. Like I want to connect poker players, influencers, the right people with the right poker rooms and operations to help everybody win. The other one is on the corporate side. I feel like the poker industry has a ton to offer, offer in the corporate world. And this really stems from when I started back in the industry, like four years ago, when I started Faded Spade, I came back in the industry as a fan and as a business person, and I didn't really know anybody. Like the only names I knew were still like Phil and Daniel. Yeah. And as I got to know people in the industry, because I had one foot in, one foot out still at that time, now obviously they're both in, I was like, man, why doesn't, so why don't so many people outside the industry, whether it's like people I worked with in the corporate world or the mass market, like know you guys yeah. because you, you're great, unbelievable people, not just players. You represent the industry. Well, you're like the quote unquote characters of today for, to equate it to like the poker boom. And you bring so much more than just being a poker player, you know, to the world. And now it's like, how do we take all your skills and influence yours, Jamie's, Darren's, Chris's, and bring that to the corporate world with things like, and I'm going to give a few examples. So there are so many correlations between poker strategy and business strategy. And who better than you to go into a room full of executives and be able to give a knockout keynote speech and session on that to help make them a better leader and decision maker through the lens of poker. That is enormous value. Yeah. And those opportunities are everywhere. We're just not pursuing them, right? And I'm only using you as this example, but obviously Darren can do the same thing, Chris, Jamie. So it's also to kind of bring and connect the poker industry and our best and brightest in the industry in the corporate world. And I believe that's going to happen too. Yeah. From the corporate side of things, I, I think that like you really kind of strike gold here in the sense that this is obvious to anybody who's been in the game for a decade plus. Mm -hmm. It's obvious whenever you look at what Annie Duke has managed to do for herself, despite having a tarnished name within the industry. And it's obvious if you look at like general keynotes, right? A lot of these people are just former athletes. A lot of these people are former Marines or former military. You know, some, some arena of difficulty and strife, right? Yeah. Something yeah. that has them battle tested. Yeah now allows them to go out and speak to the corporate world and say like, this is the mindset you have to take, yada, 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 right? Poker is unique in the sense that not only do you build up this like battle-tested 
emotional resilience because you're just dealing with variance at a level that most humans can't comprehend. Right. Like the amount of variance that takes place in poker is probably like 10 X of what you experience in everyday life. Um, but on top of that, it's all driven by this chaotic mathematical system <laughs> that in order to be good, you have to understand. And that's business, right? Like when you can reduce things down to expected value, to ROI, to these terms that we see being utilized in the financial world day in and day out, um, with the analogy of it's just like a hand of cards or it's just like uh, a string of hand of cards. You, you know what I mean? Like when you can break it down into simple terms as far as like, you know, I live and die based on the turn of a card, but let me explain to you why that's not just rooted in luck or chance. Mm -hmm. And now let me equate that to the decisions that you're making as a head of the board. Um, I think people can really relate to that the same way that they can listening to an athlete talk about how they have a certain, you know, sixth sense or, or perception about being able to anticipate certain things. You know, it's, it's, it's all relative in the sense of getting out of the mundane day-to-day -day grind that people in corporate America will experience. It does a few things. One, it blows their mind that poker is that strategic of a game. It helps them become a better leader and decision maker through the lens of poker. And then it elevates our industry out of our industry. Like respect and credibility through your influence and your ability to do something like that, or Chris or Jamie or Darren's, it elevates the whole industry. And that's like a driving force to me because outside of the industry, you know this as well as I do, there is a disconnect of what our industry is all really about yeah. versus what people might think about it or the perception of it outside the industry. Like this is one of the most passionate industries with some of the best entrepreneurs and business minds on the planet. And I've worked in a bunch, yeah. dude. And unfortunately, there's a perception out there that poker is just like the casino world. Mm -hmm. The house is always going to win. There are some degenerates, whatever. That's the, I say that not to insult our industry. It's just the way it is to a lot of people outside the industry. It's why it's so hard to get sponsorship. Well, to be clear, the vast majority of the community is that. That's how the, the top 20% eat is based off the 80% that can't get to that level. But the best of the best is nothing like that. No, of course. Right? Of course not. And, and you're right. And, and so I'm not saying that perception is invalid. Maybe there's some validity to it, right? But for us to be able to elevate the industry through your influence and getting to know our best and brightest stars in a target of what, targeted way mm -hmm. in that corporate world, it's just going to lead to great things. Like on a smaller scale, I'm already starting to see it with the little things we're doing with Faded Spade on that front. Like we're connecting celebrities and poker players that never knew each other. And then yeah. they have unbelievable respect towards each other. And everybody that interacts with them has a great experience. Yeah. And I really believe like there's a lot of low hanging fruit in the industry where I believe above the felt is going to help poker rooms and poker operators and online operators drive business and do great things, right? A whole win, win, win scenarios. But man, when we finish these blueprints on the corporate side and we're packaging different things that we're doing specifically for what you're talking about, like keynote speeches, when I was in these VP positions and these director positions, we'd pay people $25,000, $15,000 to come in for a morning. Yeah. And half the time, it wasn't great. Right, of course. So I know there's a market for this out there. And I think what Above the Felt is going to do is now promote the fact that we can fill that market. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I see a ton of overlap, right? Like, there's an overlap between poker and sports. There's an overlap between poker and tech. There's an overlap between poker and chess. There's and an overlap between poker and finance. And I want poker as an industry to have that same level of connectivity and credibility that those industries have when they do these types of things in the corporate world. Right. That is so important to me. I don't know why, bro. No, I know why. I don't. I, I know don't know exactly why. why. It's just. It just is. It's no. like a part of me. Well, man. there's a huge reason why because the the crux of your company succeeding is built off of that if you can't generate that trajectory in the corporate world even if it's only one person right if you end up building a team of 20 and only one of us proves to be a shining star it's still very critical to have that one because what you get from that is validation mm. right that validation and clout is what allows the expansiveness of uh poker personalities to grow mm. i i want to touch on this because i see a lot of problems with a few points number one I think that we suffer from a messaging problem in this community, mm -hmm. right? There's only a small fraction of people who are actually able to profit in this community year in and year out. There's an even smaller fraction of people who are disciplined enough, intelligent enough, studied enough, whatever you want to qualify it as, to uh, be industry leaders and not just make a lot of money playing this game, but also be pioneers, mm -hmm. right, to some degree. and. The fact of the matter is we're all at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. Whether we want to be or not, everybody's just under fire at all times. Everybody's under the microscope. It's a weird community in the sense that nobody's really recognized, maybe a couple of exceptions, the top of the top. Like mm -hmm. we don't we don't view it as a hierarchy. We view it as a mountain peak. And either you are the number one person or you're not. And it doesn't have to not, be that way. No, of course not. It's silly. It's it's the most asinine thing on earth. Picking out the best poker player in the world is like trying to pick out I don't know, a grain of sand or something like that. Like it's, it's constantly in flux. Whatever makes that person the best today will not allow them to be the best tomorrow. It's variable in nature, right? It just depends what environment they're in. Uh, the, the absolute greatest player on earth could still be subjected to a mediocre player who finds holes in their game. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a mediocre player could absolutely destroy maybe this person who picks up whatever like yeah you're talking about our heads up match right now yeah <laughs> i mean the, the the point is we're not bulletproof right? right everybody is going to be flawed in their strategic approach no matter what because we're still human and we're still trying to discover this game so the fact that there is no top of the mountain but yet there is no real delegated hierarchy either allows people at the bottom and middle tiers rather than to look up to those who have trailblazed or or led the way they're throwing stones mm -hmm. they're basically trying to knock them off their pedestal saying mm -hmm. like i'm next in line mm -hmm. and because of that like there's no promotion within there's no uh there's no real highlighting any sort of the talent and it allows the old guard to remain in good form right right nobody's ever going to surpass daniel nobody's going to get a half million twitter followers nobody right because everybody's in their tiny little echo chamber in this already small community and they're not doing a very good job of like leveraging the community as a whole. They're just trying right. to leverage whatever small little subsection they've built. So like without that, there's not that much incentive for a card room to say like, we are going to feature guest X, Y, and Z for our event come down. You, you have a percentage of operators out there or business leaders in the poker world that see that value mm -hmm. and then another percentage that doesn't. Yeah. Right. And it's going to take the ones that see that value that have done it over the last couple of years to give the example to the folks that don't see the value. I see the value. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. Sure. Um, part of this is like, I work with the poker rooms too. So like if we're 
working out a deal with a poker room where you're going to be there, make an appearance and, and hopefully drive business, right? If it's a bad deal for you, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. If it's a bad deal for the poker room, I'm going to tell them. Yeah. Because the whole point is to work together. Right. And I love what you said. You said it so much more eloquently than I could, but it's like the team aspect and the connectivity aspect of poker, if above the felt actually helps that evolve, mm-hmm. then that's a win. Agreed. Because, totally agree. Because like literally I was worried about that. It was It was really important for me to pick four to five people that I felt like not only had individual talent and can bring a lot to the table, but also as a team would work really well together when those opportunities would exist mm-hmm. that respect each other, that appreciate what we're trying to do. And that's hard. Sure. And I knew with you and Jamie, I had two people as friends, but then also as influencers and bright business minds that could add a lot of value in and out of the industry. But I also knew that you guys would work well together. Mm-hmm. And you guys were the first two, you were the core. And then I started thinking to myself, like who else do I really know that would fit this culture and this, and this mold? And literally Darren was the first person that came to mind. And I don't know Darren as well as you and Jamie. I've had a number of interactions with him, but I got the feeling. And I literally called him up and said, here's what I'm doing. I know you've never put yourself out there. Here's who, who was involved. I think like you have the right mindset to do this. We had a half hour conversation and I knew at the end of it, he was the right guy. And then- yeah, Darren's a beast. But he's not just a beast, like he's a beast, obviously in poker, but like also like you look at his background, right? And then you look at some of the things he did with AI and Pluribus and how he represented our industry for that. Um, and the respect he's shown all of us as we've, as we've built this, like he's going to crush it too. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, I was thinking of some other people and I couldn't really figure it out because like trust and respect is very important. Like you said, there's not a ton of people that can really go out there and represent this industry well, right? And wound up having a random conversation with Chris because he won a nonprofit charity tournament that we had. Talked to him for 45 minutes, not even directly about this. Said, well, let me tell you what's going on. Next thing I know, Jamie calls me and said, did you did you talk to Chris about this? I was like, kinda, I think I might ask him to be involved. And she was like, well, he just told me he's in. And I was like, all right. And once the four of you who all have like a very similar like mind of, yes, this is an individual game, but we want to move the industry forward. And if we need to work as a team, cause there's power in a team and a unit to do that, we're in. That's when I knew we had something. Yeah, and I mean, just to clarify, like I don't think that there's a lack of value in what you're offering to the, to the community and the right. synergy and stuff. I guess uh, what I'm more so saying is that without the corporate side, I don't think that <clears throat> the growth can occur. 100%. And I, I think that growth is absolutely mandatory because I, I just see so many crossovers here, right? Like, I don't know like what your your projections are as far as like building this out, but it would be insane if you start to go the corporate path and you start to build these relationships where you can get keynotes and you can host events and things of that nature. It would be insane to not have a couple grandmasters on your roster. It would be insane to not have, you know, a couple esports kids that are up and coming and and uh can present themselves very well and it'd also be crazy not to have like that young poker star who is a little bit more mature for his age than you would imagine and it's kind of been through a little bit more and has a a tale to tell i I just think that like you know all the crossover and overlap is what makes this project so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me and i think it what it's what conveys itself as a huge opportunity that in turn i think 
can potentially make this an industry leading uh, type of business for poker. But in the inverse, I think it fails, right? Because I think it's a really hard sell to say, hey, this poker player you never really heard of, I promise you is very good, articulate, and smart. Have him for your keynote. And it's gonna just be like, thanks, but no thanks. You literally just helped me answer a question in my head that's been going on and on for the last three or four days. Mm. You're 100% right. Like when we scale this thing, there has to be different levels of talent representation and marketability. Um, but really, what, the, the reason I leaned on those particular uh, subsets is because at the absolute top, it's it's pure genius, right? Like you just don't ever see the 1% of grandmasters or esports or poker or whatever the case may be without very intelligent, critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just look at the industry as a whole, like you take a guy like Jordan Peterson, for example, right? Mm -hmm. He's just a random professor from Canada. But he started to do these thesis. Uh, he, he did like a thesis on the Bible and just like trying to take the... Um, the, the under underlying theme of the Bible and conveying it into virtues for current day. And it blew up. Yeah. Right. It blew up. All he was, was a thinker, right? All he is, is a thinker. Yeah. And I'm not even using him as an example of like, we should all try to emulate Jordan Peterson. I think there's infinite wrong yeah. with a lot of his messaging, but he has a following that like, we would be so fortunate to develop. You're hundred percent right. I, I feel like the trajectory for above the felt is, you know, the next three to six months, we do what we can to all help each other within the industry, right? And the poker fans and help the poker rooms get back online and get you guys some, some more exposure and some great bookings, right? While we're doing that, we're going to be building these unbelievable, I don't know what to call them right now, but it's like, let's call them keynote presentations that you're going to have specialties in, Darren, Jamie, Chris, and they're all going to be different because you all bring different things to the table. Mm -hmm. And then it's literally... Once we have that packaged, bringing it to the different companies that I could add value to, we're going to get the business. I lived this world for yeah. 16 years. Yeah. It's going to happen. And then that's just going to build upon itself and build upon itself. And it's funny you say that because literally the outpour of support from players within the last three or four days, folks that like are asking me about, hey, I want to be involved with this. How can I? And I don't have an answer right now Yeah, because I really want to focus on, on you guys. Mm -hmm. Young players, up and comers, folks our age, we'll call us the middle market, mm -hmm. right? Folks from the boom era. I don't have an answer for them yet. But then also folks in the corporate world that I work with that have seen this have called me and they're like, when can we talk? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if that kind of stuff is happening in three days and plus the operators, tons of feedback from operators coming back positive. I got to believe once we build these blueprints for everybody over the, the next 90 days, this year is going to be the growth year in terms of like building a foundation. And then year two and three, that's going to be tipping point. And what we've got to do during that time is not lose sight of what you're talking about. We've got to now figure out how to bring in that talent that might not be able to give a keynote speech, but could do something else great for our industry or yeah. outside the industry. That's, that's the tricky part, right? Is that this isn't your prototypical, let's showcase the talent like you would see in sports right. marketing. Right. Um, because that doesn't mean shit. Being able to be a winner in poker, yes, it separates you from 90 plus percent of the field, but you can't see it. It's not tangible. You can't you can't watch a highlight reel, right? It's it's absolutely, utterly meaningless. All it is is some sort of validating yeah. clout that you get to carry forward. It, it's, it's like your stamp of uh, approval or your pro card, so to speak. Beyond that, though, it means nothing. 
to anybody who's a hiring gig, right? Right. Right. So it's like your job now as as the leader of Above the Felt is to showcase the unique talent that anybody that you sign has. Yeah. And that's intangible, largely. It's a hard ask. That's my strength. It's like, I know it's a hard ask, but it's also something that like, it's just come natural. Well, it's where the media failed in this industry and why we don't have media any longer. Taking a bunch of 20-something white males who are doing okay at a card game and asking them about hand histories is a surefire way to ensure that you don't have an audience 10 or 15 years down the line. Right. I know you're passionate about that, right? It's just precisely what happened, right? Like, it's so frustrating because, you know, uh, I watch the Pat McAfee podcast every single day. Four hours. Four hours this guy talks about the NFL. And granted, he has all the churn in the world from nationwide news. But just understand, like, something like the NFL has a 365, 24-7 news cycle, right? We can't even get, like, enough topics to talk about weekly for a vlogcast. So... This is phase two of Above the Felt. And this is where you you know this was eventually going to come up in this podcast. Inspired by UFC and WWE. Mm. There's a promoter in me that wants to make sure, as you guys do this in the corporate world, it's also building your characters. And when I say characters, I don't mean a wrestling gimmick or a UFC fighter gimmick. I mean, people know your stories. Yeah, yeah. All of your stories are absolutely amazing. And what do people fall in love with? Stories. Yeah. They don't fall in love with, and I'm talking mass market now. You don't fall in love with turning on poker on TV and watching a few hands. No, agreed. Totally. But if they believe in the story and know the story of the person that's playing that poker hand, they give a shit. Yeah. They care. Yeah, you have to create rooting interests. We don't have teams. We don't have cities. We don't have... It's going to come, I'm telling you. And there are some great things out there like uh, Matt Waxman with what he's trying to do with poker rhythm. Yeah. Right? Like I... I know it's organic. I just did a bunch of research on it because he wants to talk. And it's like, this is a great concept. Yeah. So it's like, how do we elevate that concept? But it's like, I really believe that's how you get the mass market back into poker. It's not watching the World Series of Poker on ESPN, which we all love and people will be entertained by. Sure. But it's how do you get all those people back? Here's how WWE did it. Here's how UFC did it. And I don't know if we do it this way. Reality TV. I say that, people laugh at me. It's just a hard ask. It's a hard ask. I'm not saying I have a solution for it, but it's how it's happened. The mass media, mass market didn't totally care about MMA until the Ultimate Fighter. Right, right. Agreed. Right? Totally agree. In WWE, when they had all those different um, territories before it was WWE, people didn't care about it until Vince McMahon somehow became a promoter, created characters and storylines and gave people a reason to watch the wrestling. If you just watch wrestling back in the day, it was boring as shit. Oh yeah, for sure. But people cared about the character. Mm-hmm. People cared about the people in the ring. Just like people can care at a deeper level about the poker players who are either heads up with each other or just playing in a tournament to see how far they go. Yeah. I really believe this. I don't know how it happens yet, but I believe in some way above the felt can be a driver of that happening. No, you're 100% right. Does that right. make sense? Like, yeah, I know it's visionary shit, but it's like... Uh, it makes total sense because like, here's the thing. I'm complaining that there's no that there's no media in this industry, and I mean that wholeheartedly. We can't even find macro conversations, right? It's literally just like sites like Poker News lazily throwing up tweets of the week and, and just like combing through and trying to turn that into a news cycle. So like it doesn't generate, right? But you need the micro, meso... Or, or sorry, the macro, meso, and micro levels, right? So you need to be able to follow at the macro level as far as like 
what tournaments are taking place, what are all like where are all the the high stake players at right now? Something like Triton, right? Uh, where are all the high stake cash games players at, right? Something like Poker Go with high stakes cash or uh, sorry, high stakes poker or poker after dark, right? Then you need the mezzo level where it's like, okay, where's the WPT stop this month? Yep. And you know, should I expect to be able to follow updates where I'm going to hear from my fa most favorite players? But at the micro level, this is something that never happened. And there's opportunity for it. The problem is, is that the infrastructure crumbled already at the macro and meso level. But if you can rebuild those, the micro level lends itself to more of this ultimate fighter-ish, WWE-ish type thing, where it's like, you should be able to follow your favorite players projection or, or, or trajectory over the course of a year, right? Man, I, I just love Daniel Negreanu. I want to know all the events that he's going to play this year. And like, there should just be an outlet that is tracking like Negreanu is going to play this buy-in this day. And obviously like that comes with some cooperation, right? Of course. Uh, but it's what our industry is is needing right now. Connectivity, right. collaboration, cooperation, all these different organizations that are doing all these great things. Yeah. Here's the thing. WPT, God bless them. They are doing their absolute best to put entertainment into poker and they're doing a great job. Yeah. Like they really are of all the organizations out there. But it's like there's an organization over here that's doing something and here doing yeah. something and here and and they're all doing something a little bit differently. But if they were to work together and fill all their gaps that they have. Well, it's the same thing in the training the, industry. That's where the magic happens. 100% the same thing in the training industry. You'll just never see it. There will never be coordination on tournament tours. There will never be coordination in the training industry. People are just entirely too short term thinking, I think. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for 15 years. Why on earth doesn't WPT and HPT and uh, WSOP circuit and all these other tours that exist, why aren't they coordinating? You know, there's only X amount of thousands of people who are playing MTTs live a year, and, right? And, and, and that's what's so and difficult. It could just be tiered by buy-in level. Right, and that's what's so difficult because they're different corporations, different cultures, different leadership structures, different ownership. It's extremely difficult. In a way, they're competing against each other. Well, they would, rather, way, they would just rather compete, right? And, but in a way, they need each other. No, they 100% right? need each other. So that's what they don't understand. It's so I, weird. Or maybe they do understand it and they just like cut off their nose to spite their face. But it's it's definitely one of those fuck you mentalities where it's like, oh, uh, WSOP Circuit is running a 1600 in Vegas on Sunday. Okay, well, WPT uh, is going to just take their LA market then and run a deep stack event at the Commerce the same day. So they just constantly fragment and segregate the market by like setting up shop next to one another. Rather than just kind of saying like, why don't you take all the MTT people today and we'll take, because it's different than online. Oh man, that, yeah. Right, because it's yeah. so much different than online. It's the opposite online. If Party Poker is running a power series, then it makes perfect fucking sense for GG to run some sort of circuit event too, because people are just firing and they're at their computer anyway. But you know what's interesting? That happens on a local level. So like you'll have to, you'll, the pool's too small. Yeah. Like you'll you see, you have to coordinate. Yeah. Like we have a bunch of uh, customers in Florida. Mm -hmm. I know their poker operators well, and they're great people and we'll probably work with them. And they all communicate so well. If one group is going to be running a tournament on one weekend, they make sure they don't like cannibalize each other and they connect and they collaborate, make sure it's what's best for the players. Texas does a great job of this too. What's best for the players, what's best for them, what's best for their market. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to do that on a market level than it is a global level. Yeah, agreed. But if there was some sort of role, right? And I'm just thinking like my corporate mind is going here. Like 
that was a liaison, you know, between the organizations that had this type of partnership. Maybe that's something that could help. But again, global just, businesses, yeah, different it's ownership, it's, it's a little bit of a dream. But who knows? Maybe that's another evolution of above the felt down the road. Maybe we play a connector in that way because we're empowering the right players to now utilize their influence for their benefit, poker's benefit, a poker room's benefit, yeah. and the fan benefit in the industry. I mean, we're a long way away from that, though. There's no player organization. So like, even That's those where I was going next. that you're promoting, uh, they're, they're shouting out. There's, there's no WCW and WWF with different right. rosters that are owned by each of those rosters. I, I got to tell you, like, Landon makes this analogy about me all the time, and I think that it's very fitting in this sense. Like, I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's a very um, quiesotic uh, adventure like never heard you're, the you're, damn word of my life you're, you're don don't Don Quixote you shouting at windmills right. oh yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah like yeah. You're, Quixote, you're just yeah. you're just screaming into the ether the newsroom where where nobody's listening yeah um and th this is something quixotic I, I can spell it in my head <laughs> you're uh, sounding like me on a poker live stream when i'm trying to pronounce player names yeah no it's <laughs> I, i'm definitely mispronouncing it but i can i can see the spelling in my head uh but anyway yeah it's it's like even if you do get this collective team and they have some sort of influence, they're still just shouting into the ether. There's no centralized platform for them to be boosted up on. Mm -hmm. There's no, it's it's a general lack of coordination. Something that I've been really wanting to do for the last two or three years, and I've just kind of had my feet in the mud, but I do think that there's a huge opportunity for this, is it's insane to me that we are the only industry I can imagine that has 25,000 people worth of foot traffic come through the WSOP every year, and we don't have a convention. It's wow. madness. You're you're not going to believe this. And no, we did not talk about this beforehand. Um, we're going to be having meetings next month then. Because right now I'm working with two people outside the of the industry mm -hmm. that have this experience building communities mm -hmm. and building trade associations who are not in our industry. But they've done it in ski. They've done it in the investing yeah. industry. But they love poker yeah and i brought and this up to them there's a huge crossover and immediately they're 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 they snap called they were like we want to help you build this of course so it's you like, want to know the easiest way to prop up the poker community you put on a convention that has uh tentacles to it that have overlap right so it's a poker convention that is x amount of days long during the wsop when every fucking poker player in the world is already here and you have a slot for crypto. You have a slot for tech. Oh, shit. You have a slot for yeah, yeah. Uh, finance. Cross-marketing, cross-promoting, right? cross-leadership yeah. training. Yeah, because what's happening is it's a huge opportunity for those industries to capture an audience that is already, you know, have their toes in the water. But in the inverse, it's a huge opportunity for our industry to bring those people in. Hell yeah, dude. Right? Absolutely. And I, I wasn't even thinking about it like that. I will say I am... Not sure about the timing of it, like if during WSOP is the right time or not. Because How could it not be? I, it is from everybody being here from a player standpoint, but I also feel like everyone is so distracted. doesn't matter. You'll never are, get that level Are of people really going to get up at 8.30 and go to a bunch of sessions between 8.30 and 12 o'clock before a tournament Who knows? Starts? Who cares? They're here, though. They have the opportunity to. Do you think you would ever get someone to fly out to Vegas to go listen to a keynote? Mm. No fucking chance. Yeah. 
Like the Global Poker Awards were not attended. <laughs> There's a reason they did it around LAPC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They did it the day yeah. before the main event. Why? Because everyone who nomin who's nominated for an award is playing yeah. the fucking event. <laughs> yeah. Literally everyone. You know what we do? We eventually build this thing, right? Because you and I both have that commonality. We're, we're a little bit of dreamers. But like we eventually build this thing and then we do it over at like the Aria <laughs> during the WSO. I mean, that's what, that's what uh, the TDA does. Yeah. They have their conference every year at Aria during the WSOP. Yeah. Um, and on a micro scale, that's exactly what we're talking about. But that should just be a fragment of a much wider uh, conference or, or convention or however you want to refer to it, right? There should be the training industry represented yes, 100% there should be online, online operators, operators. Re represented physical operators yeah there should be physical operators all represented there should be players represented marketing right? in the poker industry business development sure. in the poker industry well if ever you're going to operations if ever you're going to be in a scenario where you could potentially organize poker players to collectively i don't want to say unionize i think that's a poor representation but to create some sort of um, loose agreement amongst one another, it's right. there. 100%. Right? It's there. It's come to this keynote led by Phil Gelfond and crew uh, in order to better organize the poker community. Right? Like, who's not going to go to that? I know. You're 100% right. Baby steps. The rec community should be represented. Absolutely. Right? Like, all of the... I mean, there's so much room for this. And then that's still only like 15, 20% of the entire thing. Right? Like I love that so you're so passionate about this. I had no idea. I mean, this is just something I thought I wish about. I would have brought you into these conversations like 45 days ago. I had no idea you were this passionate about it. Oh, I, I came up with this idea probably like two and a half years ago and started fleshing it out. And it just, I was in over my head. It was just like, <laughs> everybody just kept saying like, you should just do it. And if only a hundred people show up, then it's fine. And I'm like, no, it, like that's a waste of resources. It's going to take people outside of our industry that have this experience to do it. That's what I'm saying. We like, already have so much leverage. It'd be yeah, silly yeah, yeah. to try to grassroots something that's yeah. going to fail or at least take five years to develop. Yeah, It's like way, we have way, way too much leverage and pull in other industries with people who have already done something like this. There's no reason that the first iteration shouldn't have like a few thousand attendees. Who love poker and just want to be part of the industry. Right. So they're going to put in this sweat equity to make this happen just based on making a difference and then being able to be a part of our industry. Yeah. And I mean, there's incentives, right? Like it seems difficult to incentivize training in, uh, tr training leaders in the industry to come out and showcase. It seems difficult to incentivize operators and it seems difficult to incentivize, um, you know, brick and mortar business and stuff like that. But all you do is give them a booth. Yeah, yeah. You just give them the ability to grow their own little sector of the business. And the amount of foot traffic that comes through is so massive. Even if this thing breaks even, whoever does come up with this, whether it's us or or somebody else, like yeah. as long as it breaks even the first year, yeah, it's going to be community building. Yeah. I mean, that's the trouble, right? Like if this were as good of an idea as we think it were, the WSOP would just do it. It's a good idea know. in a coordination sense. It's not a good idea in a profitability sense. WSOP doesn't have the resources to do it. Maybe not. They don't have the resources to do it. That's Venetian a, would. They have a brand new convention center that they're not utilizing during that time frame. They're trying to steal competition away from WSOP. Oh, it's it's man. a it's a good coordination where it's just like, hey, tit for tat, like let's figure out a way that we can do this break even and also funnel people to the deep stack events instead of the daily 3K at WSOP. Ah, <sighs> what can be? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, if you guys don't know, we're kind of passionate about this apparently. I, I love I love this. I'm so freaking glad that that we brought it up because 
it's just it's been on my mind for a while i just don't like spinning my wheels is the thing yeah. and if i'm going to spend time in this community and industry i want to be sure that we're plowing ahead we have to have people experienced from other industries that have done this yeah do it with our guidance and consultation but we are the company yeah, yeah. Does it. i agree does that makes sense i agree wholeheartedly with that yeah so we're not far away from that man i'm excited for it we'll see <laughs> we'll see what's going on um yeah, I don't even know how to segue off. <laughs> well, you know, let's segue a little bit into um, Poker Out Loud. Okay. Because I wanted to actually bring this up the when we started, mm -hmm. because this is launch week for the new Poker Out Loud season, right? Yep. So, like, we're celebrating a bunch of stuff. I got a beer. We're celebrating. You're drinking your bone broth because you're sure. not drinking beer. But like, there's a lot of great things that are happening this week. Yeah. So, Above the Felt Entertainment. Awesome. Feedback. Thank you to the community for the un unbelievable feedback. Poker out loud. Let's talk about. We got WPT at the Venetian live poker in a really big sense, kind of back in Las Vegas. So I know those are topics we can talk about. Yeah. But poker out loud, bro. You have known this since we first met. I believe that this is the most innovative and entertaining poker content out there. Not just from a training standpoint, but also entertainment standpoint. Yeah. So it might have been a while since you've actually talked about this, but with the season now starting and you got something really cool going on with vloggers. I want you to kind of reiterate, and I'm putting you on the spot, your why behind why you started this program. Because like I said, I think it's the most innovative, entertaining piece of content that this poker industry has to offer now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's me versus the young guns. So I was the oldest by almost double at the table. Uh, Lynn was the second oldest by two years at, <laughs> at the ripe young age of 23. Are you serious? Yeah. So you're 39. Yeah. I'm 40. Yeah. And you were playing against... Lynn, who is 23. Chris, who's 22. Jeremiah is 21. And Landon's 20. The old time reg, man. Doesn't feel old like it, though, reg. does it? No, it's painful. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, this concept is just an absolute no-brainer. For what it's worth, like, it had been done before, which I didn't even realize until after we already put out our first uh, iteration of it, but... Daniel did this for um, his previous site, which was uh, Full Contact Poker. Mm -hmm. They did a couple of episodes of this. Obviously, like, nothing's going to compare to our production. I don't mean to toot our own horn, but, like, Pigtails is just the fucking best at yeah. this. They've really nailed it. Um, and if anybody wants to disagree, please leave a comment below and tell me why I'm wrong. But It's movie TV quality. Yeah. It really is. And like, you've invested a lot of time and resources. That's why I just think like this is a no brainer, right? So, like, don't get me wrong. I, I think that like it gets misconstrued often. I think there's a lot of pushback and criticism, and some of it's valid, but I also think like some of it is missing the forest for the trees, right? People will say, like, oh, well, you can't just watch these guys firing it off uh, or doing something that's very like we put out a highlight reel uh, a few weeks ago where it was like the best bluffs. And there was a hand where like Nick and I were just like leveling one another. Right, we both took hands that had no business being aggressive, and put in multiple. Bets I watched on the that. Yeah, and it's not that either of us are bad. It's not even that either of us are strategically unsound. It's just that we have so much experience with one another. We both were straying off into portions of the game tree that are relatively low frequency, and that shit happens. That that's fine. You'll observe that in real life all the time. The difference is you actually get to hear why in real time we did what we did. Right. You could poke holes in what's wrong with it, or you can agree with the things that were right. But at the end of the day, like you don't have to guess what was going through anyone's mind whenever they were doing what they were doing. And I think that like that level of transparency is so it's 
it's beyond informative, right? Like to me, it's so curious and, and so revealing in the sense that you're almost like catching somebody with their pants down. Two things the poker industry has never been known to be revealing. Right. Yeah. And, and you are having the ability as a viewer to see and hear into the minds of poker industry's best or up and comers or influencers. And you might not always agree with the strategy that somebody is taking, but you, for you to hear the rationale as to why, and, and maybe it's a GTO reason, maybe it's an exploitative reason, or maybe it's just, I know this damn player and this is why I'm doing it. I wouldn't do it or a lot 90% of, a reason, of the time. Right? Yeah, like, or like I'm this, lost and I just gotta figure this shit out. Yeah, and this vlogger, <laughs> so we have two seasons, right? We have one we're putting on YouTube for free for everybody to watch, it's the vlogger season. Um, there's definitely gonna be spots where they're just confused and that's fine. That's, that's none poker. Of, yeah, none of them proclaim to be the greatest players on earth. Like they're gonna, they're gonna back themselves into a corner sometimes. And it's awkward when you have to talk your way through that, right? Because you don't just get to do something. You don't get to flip a coin in your head and say like, feels like a call or feels like a fold. You actually have to come up with some sort of rational rhyme or reason behind it. And that's fucking hard, especially if you don't necessarily have one. I would never want to do it. I would look like a complete idiot. Like I, I give so much props to the people that actually want to do this yeah. because they're, they're opening themselves up to criticism because we all know about you know, the yeah. trolling nature of oh, today. Oh, for sure, for sure. Right, which I know we'll talk Armchair about Armchair quarterbacking is just like the laziest form of criticism. But at the same time, it's like, I'll be damned if you're a poker player watching that and that same shit hasn't gone through your head. Right. And and how great of the people on Poker Out Loud to be able to say, I'm confused, I gotta figure this out, let me talk through it. Like, yeah. That should be commended, not trolled. Or not saying least, it is. Or at least it should be acknowledged. Acknowledged. That That's the word. Everybody does it. Right? Everyone. Right? Like nobody is a machine. Nobody just comes with all the answers. I think that I think that this is the big misconception and why we have such a branding and messaging problem in this community is people think that the guys that are considered to be at the top are these robots that are just working day in and day out. Fact of the matter is nobody's working nearly as fucking hard as they pretend to be. And nobody is nearly as bulletproof as they've been propped up to be. Yep. And they'll tell you, they'll be the first person to tell you that they have a ton of leaks that they're working on and they don't always make the right decision. It depends. It depends. Some will. <laughs> and sometimes I think that that's like right. almost like a, a form of... The people I know will. Of like false <laughs> humbleness, right? Right. Where it's like they just believe themselves to be absolutely flawless. They convince they, themselves they played it perfectly even though they didn't. Yeah, but, but you're, like, you, <laughs> you're kind of like leaving... No, 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 not that. It's just more so like you just acknowledge that you can't be perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. you leave yourself open or, or less open to criticism Yeah, that way. Um, but I guess like the whole thing that I'm trying to get at is this is just an evolution of high stakes poker and an evolution of poker after dark. Anybody who's watching live cash games for the entertainment value, for learning or anything in between, this just adds the nuance of actually knowing what the fuck the player is thinking when they do it. So many people love to watch high stakes poker mm -hmm. and then you know, have that water cooler talk back and forth of like, oh, did you see Doug's fold versus Helmuth? Or mm -hmm. why, why would Helmuth ever shove for, you know, 60 times the pot? <laughs> Is he, he's the fucking worst and blah, blah, and everything else. And it's like, that's great for the community. Now imagine if you actually got to hear the reasoning behind Helmuth's shove, right? Now your criticism is very likely to be warranted mm -hmm. because you can hear all of the bad rationalizations behind why he's about to do what he's about to do. And on top of that, 
then you get to hear all of the skillful analysis from Doug's perspective as to why folding the second nuts in this particular instance is the smart thing to do when theory would dictate otherwise. That was insane. And, and, and that's why I, I want the world to see this, Matt. Like, yeah. I got, you know, we've talked about that. But like, this is a form of what we were talking about earlier. It's innovative. It's intuitive. It gets people to understand poker at a different level. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know poker and you sit back and watch that, it's captivating. People will sit back and say, I had no idea that that much thought went into a poker hand. Yeah. And it's going to spur curiosity. And then maybe they go buy a book about it. Maybe right. they do some research online about it. But it's like, that's the stuff I'm talking about. Like, Poker Out Loud, I feel like of everything in this industry right now is one of those things that could be put on the mainstream and actually because of curiosity, because of raising the level of credibility, because of showing people that these are extremely smart, intelligent players playing this game that mm. think through things in a way you could never imagine yeah. could elevate the perception of the industry outside the industry. Yeah. Uh, I really I mean, do. I hope that that's true. We we kind of got our first little taste of outside the industry, uh, I guess, like propping up. Adam22, who is the podcast host of No Jumper, has like 800,000 followers on Twitter. No big deal. Quote tweeted us and said, like, I love this stuff. Can't get enough of it. And it's like, that's that's great because now there are eyeballs out. And, and God, it makes so much sense, right? Like, do you think the only people playing poker are the people in the poker industry, right? Like, look at these Silicon Valley games with Shamath and all these other. They're not in the poker community. They're not in the industry. Bro, we're doing Jason Alexander's um, charity tournament next month. Mm. We did Ed Asner Family Center's charity tournament last year. Yeah. So many of the celebrities that people know and love, love poker. Yeah. And they love this. They're just not outwardly supporting it. So you need to give them a reason to. Yes. Bang. And, just and took the words like, out of my mouth. I hope this product is that. It can. Yeah. And when did you start it? 2016 was our first It's still episode. a baby. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's like like Faded Spade is still a baby. Yeah. Like Above the Felt was like just born. Like who knows the impact that these products and ideas can have on their eighth year. Yeah, I mean, there's year. there's definitely a ton of room for for evolution, um, but I think that the the hurdle to get over first is just the sheer jarring nature of seeing something different. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, it's like like we get not a lot of feedback, but I would say like you know, ten percent of feedback is just shut up already and play the hand, it, or it's too slow, or I don't care what this person, and that's ironic to me in some regards because I'm a big advocate against table talk. I don't think that that's what makes a poker stream or uh, event interesting. You're just not going to watch a high stakes poker game while a podcast coexists in the background, mm -hmm. right? That's just not a fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Table talk is shallow banter that generally isn't very entertaining, mm -hmm. not very funny, and not very interesting, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of niceties. It's a lot of uh, small talk or like first day. So how was your weekend? Yeah. Or how's the wife and kid? Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to fucking hear that. Right? right. But now instead we're giving you table talk that is not just nuanced, but relevant to the action at hand. Right. We're, we're taking the commentator out of the booth and we're putting him at the table, giving him a seat and saying like, you know, walk us through your, th and the best, the, the most important part of it, in my opinion, anyway, is that it's real time. Mm -hmm. It's you don't have the chance to have 2020 vision, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't get to have hindsight here. You get to have hindsight afterwards yeah, yeah. and say like, oh well, maybe 
that was a mistake and perhaps like i should go back and look at that that should be what triggers people of like hey i'm watching something special here like not only do i get the entertainment value of poker but what i really should be identifying is people are fucked up in the way they think like <laughs> yeah. they're just right. all flawed like uh you know i've watched enough of these now where it's like chewy is as bulletproof as they get but there's you can hear his voice waver from time to time right you can hear some speculation taking place of i only have a certain degree of confidence in what i'm about to do you can hear him i mean he's super mindful right so he he will just be like this spot's difficult i'm not quite sure i'm gonna look at this later and that's huge mm -hmm. right because like if the average player can start to take that mind to the to the table like suddenly the game doesn't seem so big and it's like holy shit the best and brightest are doing this the same thing i'm struggling with when i'm at the table when i'm in this situation next time how can i learn from what they just did and apply it to my game right and then you get those shining moments of of glory yeah right those moments where somebody just says uh you know i think that this is happening and this player has hand x y or z mm -hmm. and like they just nail it right? i love that shit like you just nail it yeah. like uh there was a hand i played against chin that we put in the highlights where i opened heath called and kelly minkin squeezed and it came back to me and i just basically said like i think christian's flat calling me heavily because i think kelly gets a little bit out of line in this late position formation i expect her to have a ton of offsuit ace x but not really anything else. She has ace deuce off. <laughs> and it's just like being able to see those little glimmers of where the thoughts align and you're actually in someone else's head. That's fascinating, man. That's like watching a hitter face somebody who's throwing 99 miles an hour and just say oh, like, just about to go there. oh, it's a one-two count. I know this guy likes to throw change-ups away. Uh, if this isn't dead in the middle of the zone, I'm just going to pass. Could you, know you imagine, I mean? and look, we're both ex-baseball players, so bear with us. Could you imagine... If while watching a baseball game, you could hear what the, was going through the pitcher's mind. Would love that. Could you imagine that would shit? Love that. It'd be insane. Like that's even I think more valuable than hearing what's going through the hitter's. Oh, hundred percent. Like, because the hitter just has to react. Yeah, like just hearing that, like that would game change. That could be the savior of baseball. That could game change baseball, right? Like, so what you're doing is unbelievably innovative. There are going to be detractors. It happens, right? Mm. When Faded Spade came out, it was innovative. I remember seeing comments like. Oh, this business won't last two years. Yeah. Yeah, what's up? Like, I remember hearing that stuff, right? It's like, sure. it's always going to happen when you do something that's in innovative and disrupts. The detractors will come, but I think the vast majority of this industry and the vast majority of anybody outside of the industry that watches the show appreciates it, respects it, and wants more of it. So where can people like, so what's your plan now? So you got the new season out. Where can people see what's going on? Where can people go back and watch past highlights, all that type of stuff? Yeah, uh, we just put a bunch of stuff out on YouTube. Uh, so we have three highlight videos and we just launched uh, the vlogger season. So every Tuesday at 4 p.m., there'll be a new vlogger episode for the next eight weeks. Um, we are launching our latest season on Software YTV. So this will be season five. As I mentioned, it's me, Lin G, Jeremiah Williams, uh, Chris Convalinka, and Landon. And I have to tell you, man, just watching the first episode of the vlogger season, Landon is an absolute dream. <laughs> like he approached this from the best perspective imaginable where he talks before he looks at his hand. You know, the way we build out our strategy content for, for the subscription site is always the same. It follows a macro level analysis followed by meso followed by micro, right? So you're, you're going in a progression. It's 
what would I do globally here with my range, right? And then now once you have a good comprehension of like, this is an aggressive spot for my range or this is a passive spot for my range. Now we step down to like, well, what do each of my hand classes wanna do? Right, so I have a class of hands that want to protect. I have a class of hands that want to get value. I have a class of hands that want to bluff. I have a class of hands that want to shut down. Like, so what do each of these hand classes want to do on this particular texture? Aggressive, passive, right? Now you get that answer. Now you get down to a micro level and you say, okay, my specific hand is relevant to the board how? How is the removal effect of this hand relevant to this texture? How is the equity of this hand relevant to this texture and the action I'm about to take, right? Mm -hmm. And once you have answers from the macro all the way down to the micro, now all of a sudden you have a complete strategy. And this is exactly what Landon does so fucking well. Mm -hmm. Doesn't even look at his cards, it just folds to him and he goes, okay, in the hijack, in this particular spot, in a no rate game, my range is gonna be X. Looks down at a bad hand. Okay, this is clearly a fold, but what I would like to say is that because the big blind is perhaps over defending with too many hands, I would have expanded my range a little bit in the spot and I would have opened down to ace eight offsuit mm -hmm. instead of ace nine, mm -hmm. Mux's hand. That's fucking gold. Do you know, I've had people call me and text me that I haven't talked to in years that I used to play poker with all the time during the boom era. Mm -hmm. And do you know what they text me and call me? Have you seen the analysis by Landon Tice during the Doug so good and Daniel Negreanu heads up? Yeah. I didn't even know these people still followed poker a little bit. <laughs> And they're texting me out of the blue saying like, this guy Landon Tice like really understands poker. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, very articulate. Like he's very thoughtful in the way that he goes about it. Uh, he's young still, right? He's not the best teacher yet. He's not necessarily thinking in that hierarchy of macro to micro, but like he's done enough self-reflection and enough self-work yeah. that that process is embedded in him. Yeah. So when you give him a hand history... His response is going through that three-tier layer, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's invaluable to the user. So um, you'll get a lot of him if you want to check out Solve for YTV. Uh, there's also four previous seasons that we've done. So I think there's something like 40 or 45 episodes already on our site. And yeah, like we're really leaning into this product. I, I want to move away from the old school dry uh, training video format and lean a lot more into the fact that we have real life game footage uh, to kind of dissect. Don't get me wrong, the former is still gonna be necessary. Uh, if you're creating a course that's say six videos long, you're still gonna need a video or two to discuss the macro level principles and get the concept out there, right? Like if I wanna talk about river betting out of position, well, I'm gonna need a solid video right, right. to walk you through the theory of what we should be practically doing at a global level, right? Yeah. But then from there, I'm gonna be able to pull hands from poker out loud and I'm going to be able to demonstrate at a mezzo level like well these this is what our classes want to do and as you can see by this positioning and the size of the pot the SPR yada 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 now all of a sudden we can break this down at a mezzo level and a micro level and you know we can kind of do some solver work uh in addition to that so you know if you're breaking a hand down say from poker out loud where at the mezzo level you're just saying okay well uh, we can identify what these classes want to do. This hand fits into this class and therefore like he should be leaning into aggression. Now of that aggression, what sizes should we be particularly thinking about? Well, let's think about it again at the global level of what right. our entire range wants to do. And we go through all that analysis, right? Now you step away and you say, now let's confirm. Let's look at the micro analysis of what the solver says here, right? And you run it. And now you're able to just comb through all this data. And it's such a far cry 
from where we were five or six years ago, where it was like, hey, I've been playing for 15 years. Yeah. Listen to what I have to say. I'm going to give you some concrete principles to operate off of, and you'll figure the rest out as you go. You know what it is? It's theory and application. And, Largely. And, and when has that really been combined in a way that it's this innovative? Right. You know? So... All the best to you on Poker Out Loud, man. I mean, no doubt in my mind, it's going to continue to grow. And again, it's just in its infancy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, basically what comes of it, I guess. Um, it's the entrepreneurial dream, bro. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, you don't want to get pigeonholed into one product or one concept or anything like that. But I also don't want to continue down the path of not highlighting the thing that we're best at. Essentially, what I hope happens is that this catches enough of a wave where we're turning people away, right? Like curating a lineup isn't that difficult anymore. We get some pretty high-level thinkers who are willing to come battle it out for a couple of days and kind of like leave it all out there on the felt. That's right. Uh, that's, you know, going back to the original conversation of like building characters and getting rooting interest for people. Yeah. It's a great way to go about it. It's a phenomenal way. And especially as you bring on the vloggers who do so much for the community mm -hmm. yet haven't really been highlighted in the way you're highlighting them. I yeah. think it's great for the vlog uh, vlogger community. I think it's great for your brand and I think it's great for the industry as a whole. So staying on this topic, right? Building characters and interest. It's been a big week, right? We've had the launch of Above the Felt. We've had the new season of Poker Out Loud. We've also seen some things happen in this whole new era of heads up battles occur, right? Yeah. Where, where that is a form of entertainment and it's organic and it's getting more eyeballs. So um, we now see that GG Poker is promoting a heads-up battle between Fedor and Limitless, mm -hmm. right? So tell me about your thoughts on that and some of the things that we've seen come out of that, even across social media over the last day or so. What I think is interesting about these heads-up matches is that they have the opportunity for corporate sponsorship. Bang. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I think that that's like the biggest uh, opportunity here. And it's not even close. Because it's difficult to find other formats with maybe the exception of like a Poker After Dark or Poker Out Loud. Those are really the only other type of formats where corporate sponsorship or corporate marketing or, or um, I guess like funneling can really even take place. We're going to do it with yeah. Above the Felt. Yeah, yeah. We are going to create a storyline. Heads up battle. Matt Berkey, Jamie Kerstetter. Vindication for all those World Series of Poker online tournaments she crushed you with, and we're gonna get a corporate sponsor. I'm just making that up off the cuff right now. Sure. But what I'm saying is, as an example, there is no reason why these can't be um, have a WWE UFC storyline to it. Yeah. With to to create like a care to create a reason to watch. Yeah. With real poker and have a corporate sponsoring it, maybe even sponsoring the prize money. Yeah. As long as you get the right eyeballs on it. I think But that, you don't know unless you try. I think that it's still I, I think right now it's still not being executed. Right. Uh the Daniel Doug thing already had the storyline built in. Right. Like it was baked in from just years of disliking one another. Organic. Yeah. Um I'm tired of everybody challenging limitless. I don't get it. <laughs> I've uh, seen that too. And the thing the thing is is like I don't care that it's one person. I don't even care that it's limitless. Uh, I just don't care is the problem. I don't know nearly enough about him. And uh, all I do know is that some people think he's very good. Other people think he's a spot. I'm interested a little bit because it's Fedor, but I'm interested a little bit less because I don't know, just like the way that the match actually came to be felt very uh, meh to me. Right. right. 
Um, that said, it did come to be, and GG is kind of like throwing their forces behind it, which I think is good. I think they're not, no offense, I'm not trying to knock GG, but I think they're doing a shit job of it. Um, the marketing video I thought was like pretty tacky at best. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. It, it's just like a bunch of uh, interview footage from Limitless on Joey Ingram's podcast, uh, and then a bunch of like very contrived footage of them interviewing Fedor. And you know, it's just, here's the thing, man. I'm going to be pretentious about this shit because it's like I have a production team that is on an extremely low budget that I know could do 10 times the job. Well, you you have the credibility to offer the opinion. Sure. Right. And, and it's your opinion and it's a valid opinion, but you have the experience and the credibility to offer it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You saying that it's not a put down. You're not knocking them. It's just you might have expected a little bit more. Right. I, I just think that they could do a better job of the lead up. Right. Like, right. Do, you know, just say, hey, don't, you don't have to play March 9th, right? Like, right. why don't you give us till April 1st? Nobody's going anywhere. Build a story. Like, line. let's actually build this up and yeah. get some hype behind it. But instead, you know, they're just throwing dollars. They're just like, oh, Limitless and, and Fedor, one of our representatives, are going to play each other heads up. Marketing team, get on it. We have right. four days. Right, right, right. Which happens in corporations sometimes. Yeah. And, and, so, and it's always the dollar driving it. Yeah. And to be fair, like, you know, they didn't have much turnaround time. So, like, this is probably the best that they could have done yeah. in such short notice. And that's fine. But, like, they had an opportunity to do a 24-7, like, documentary. Interestingly, right? so big, right? I get it, and and like our community always does. Interestingly, though, there was some organic media about it, if you will. Sure. Yesterday, well, we or two are days the media ago. now. That's right? true. So <laughs> when Doug Polk tweets about something, <laughs> right. it becomes the headline story. Right. So so Doug put out a tweet, and I'm not going to read it verbatim, but it was about the Fedor Limitless battle yeah. and had some choice opinions. Sure. On the ability of both, and then. Fedor wound up on the Rake podcast with Jamie Kerstetter, and there was a really genuine moment about him expressing how those comments that Doug made made him feel. Doug Polk got into the mix today. Did you see that? I just read it, and I actually could feel that it's the you know stuff like this still hurts, and it's, it's really uh, oh yeah. I would probably not think about it tomorrow, but in the moment when I read it, I think it hurts because I cannot uh, identify the background like I, I have no real relationship with him or, mm -hmm. or like we, we've not really talked in the last couple of years I when we talked he was always quite nice and I um, I could tell that like back in the days he was very like there was a lot of battle in him and I think that that was like a really nice vulnerable moment by Fedor me too that sentiment just isn't echoed enough especially when again like we're talking about this upper echelon of the community where both players are highly respected both players are highly accomplished but one feels the need to attack the other i guess to remain relevant doug thinks he's a favorite against both of them he probably is but he's no interest in playing either of them right so what's the purpose of this tweet is it to make fedor feel like that probably not is it for the lols sure but at what cost right like if he knew for a fact that Fedor would have a visceral response to that tweet. Would he have still sent it? My best guess is yes. Because I guess he's just like an internet guy. Right. Where that sort of fallout doesn't fucking matter. It's collateral damage that's right. a byproduct of being quote unquote funny. I have a lot of opinions on this, right? I don't know Doug. Um, I believe what I do know of him in the public eye, I guess, and mm -hmm. what I've seen of him on Twitter is just it's Doug being Doug. It probably wasn't personal. 
it was probably just Doug throwing a comment out there that maybe he actually believed, maybe he doesn't, but just for a reaction. No, I think he definitely right? believes it. So maybe, okay, maybe I he think it's always it. authentic, but I also think it's always cunty. Very well said. But I've also seen the side of Doug where it's like, he's not that way in real life. And it just confuses the hell out of me. Like, Because saying that to someone's face it, gets you punched in the nose. Right. And there's a certain uh, there's a certain element of like, if you have balls to be that way online, why aren't you that way in real life? Right. Sure. And I think that hurts his credibility a little bit, especially in this case, because of Fedor's reaction. What got me about Fedor's reaction is the word still. Yeah. Where he said, you know, it still hurts when I hear this. Mm -hmm. And... What that tells me is just like any of us in life, we've heard those things about ourselves and it can come from somebody that doesn't matter and we've never met, or it can come from somebody that we respect in a trade that we're a part of and it still hurts. And many times what we do, men or women, is we just try and like be strong yeah. and we try and say, oh, whatever, doesn't matter what that person thinks or, oh, I don't care. Or we fire back at that person. But really deep down, so many of us from a human level, it hurts. Sure. Like it just does. And for him to be able to be real about that, like my respect and admiration for him as a player and as a person just like skyrocketed. And I don't know, Doug, but like anybody that has that trollish type behavior online, like I would just say like it might be all fun and games, but you could really be hurting somebody. Sure. But like we're not going to change the internet. And we're not going to change the internet. But it's like it's, it's part of society, too. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like yeah. someone thinks doesn't think twice about posting something like that. But this is an example for one of the first times in our industry where somebody showed that they were vulnerable and was like, yeah, that shit hurt, man. I think the, I think the issue I take with the entire interaction is that Doug represents culture and Fedor represents counterculture in this particular instance. So oh, wow. somehow being like vulnerable and honest about your feelings when somebody, you know, verbally attacks you is countercultural, yeah. right? Like it's, it's not the expectation. Like you said, we're just supposed to be bigger than that. We're supposed to turn the other cheek and say, I don't care. And it doesn't matter what he thinks. And, you know, what? And like Jamie's reaction kind of conveyed that. She's like, really? She was surprised. Like she can't believe yeah, that the surprised. words from a well-respected peer would ever have impact. But like, you know, you, you focused on the word still. And that makes sense because it's like, from Fedor's point of view, what the fuck else does he have to accomplish? Right? <laughs> right. I never what thought about that. What does this kid have to do? Right in order to just garner the respect to not be cut down, right? It's not even just like, I want you to praise me or anything along those lines. It's just like, just be a normal person who, you could have worded it as like, I think Fedor's a dog here. <laughs> and I think Limitless is, a, I think they're both a dog to me. Even that, you know, there's some level of arrogance there, but it's it's like, it's me he messages it in a hurtful way purposefully. That's the that's what the audience wants, right. right? That feels dramatic. That feels like it's going to stir the pot. And that's what generates that general reaction. But like at the core, I I understand, right? Because you struggle with the why. It's like, well, why did this happen? Where does this You've come dealt from? with this shit. Sure. Sure, it's not fun. It's never fun because your entire the the entire time you're you're going through it, what you're really thinking about is What's the best foot forward I can put when I'm under attack? So how can I represent myself as authentically as humanly possible while kind of skirting this without, you know, giving into shallow emotion mm -hmm. of anger or hurt or frustration or whatever the case may be. 
And what you realize is that you lost. You lost the second that this had any sort of impact on you whatsoever, but you're also human. Mm -hmm. So it's going to have that impact. And I think Fedor's response was just like incredibly mature. It's incredibly reflective of somebody who uh, clearly can identify that words have meaning. Right. And, you know, not everything is just going to be something you can shrug off. It, you know, this isn't a faceless egg on Twitter. This is a guy with a massive platform who is very well accomplished in not just the format that you're about to play, but in the industry as a whole. 100%, especially live tournament poker, right? And and I feel like this whole heads up um, era kind of happened during COVID, right? Yeah. Because live poker wasn't happening anymore. Um, we kind of, within ourselves as a community, found ways to entertain ourselves, found ways to uh, keep the the interest of fans, mm -hmm. which I think is actually pretty remarkable when you think about Agreed. it. Agreed. Like, because it's... Totally well, it organic. Really demonstrates like, how low, how little the media exists. That's really like if you if you really think back about it, like from a virtual standpoint, when live poker shut down, our industry created its own sub industry, yeah, almost, and and gave fans something to stay interested, and gave players something to stay known and relevant, and created that entertainment all of its own. Like it's actually kind of mind blowing that that happened. It's really cool, but I'm, I'm talking about this because now I'm transitioning to the point that live poker is starting to come back. Sure. And all of a sudden, this weekend, we've got a one and a half million guarantee at the Venetian 5K WPT. blow that out of the water. We saw what happened in South Florida. Yeah, Florida is a different beast, but everybody in LA is itching to play poker. South Florida, when they ran that WPT at Hard Rock, it crushed the guarantee. Yeah. This one, I feel like, I don't think it would be as big as the Hard Rock one. Okay. Was that a 3,500 buy-in? Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. It was 3,500. This is 5K. Yeah. And and not even just the price difference, but the location. Um, you know, they just have a slightly larger market, in my opinion. I do think this will crush the 1.5. I think that we're probably looking closer to like 2X that prize pool, maybe even 3X. Yep. I know the South Florida one got like 5 million in the prize pool, which is probably one of the biggest WPTs they ran there since the 10 million guarantee fuck it's probably been six years now seven years now something like that yeah um so yeah people are itching to get back out and play uh and understandably so i got the antibodies so i'm ready to rock <laughs> i do as well yeah i'm uh 90 sure anyway <laughs> i'm 100 sure so i'm i'm good to go i'm ready to mix it up in some uh some live mtt uh i'm only playing on saturday so i'm gonna be limited on the amount of bullets i can fire right well which is good for you yeah, because <laughs> you could fire a lot. Definitely so, doesn't hurt. So talk to me about this, right? So I'm playing, you're playing, Darren's playing. Above the felt will be represented there, right? We're gonna be out there. What do you think, like day one, is gonna be like for this type of tournament when so many people have been chomping at the bit to play and haven't been able to, and now all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's a main tour stop. It's Las Vegas. It's the Venetian. It's WPT. Many of these folks, like me, haven't played in 16 months live in a meaningful tournament, like. Mm. How do you think that affects day one play? Probably not a ton. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, wrecks are going to wreck and <laughs> pros are going to pro. Like, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, the expectation is probably going to be very similar. I imagine that throughout the course of day one, 30% of the people will make it to day two. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a day two entry. I know Venetian likes to do that where like the first couple levels on day two, you can still buy in. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine like somewhere between a quarter and a third of the field remaining uh after day one um and you know the structure just kind of dictates that right like 
I don't think that it'll be ahead. Basically, what I'm saying is I don't think it'll be ahead of pace, right? right. If the structure kind of dictates that 40% should bag, I don't think that only 20% are going to bag. Right. Uh, and I also don't think that like 70% are going to bag. Generally, the structure is the structure and very little that the players collectively can do will alter that. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see what the crowd looks like. Uh, I'm curious to see like the pro versus rec money uh, distribution. I would say generally you expect like a 70-30 pro mm -hmm. to rec. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very reasonable. You might see something closer to 50-50 for this. I do as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm out here. Sure. So, <laughs> you know, sure. you know, it's going to be a soft field. <laughs> Sure. So, um, well, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what happens with live poker here on out. I feel like a lot of different casinos around town are going to keep their eye on this yeah, and see what happens here. And if all goes well and um, there isn't some kind of crazy fallout from a bunch of people catching COVID or et cetera, I think what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing other casinos in town open up their tournaments. Well, Venetian and Wynn have been running now for a few months, probably since back like November or December. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Sisolak said that by June, he plans to have businesses back at full capacity. Yeah. So assuming that that timeline stays, uh, on par, I imagine we're going to start to see series come through again. You know, I imagine the world series is going to be late summer, early spring or sorry, early fall, something in that nature, uh, as they have a little bit more need for the rest of the world to open up. But you know, it's all about the vaccine, right? It's all about how that rolls out, uh, how available it is to people, what the likelihood is that uh, we can get ourselves to a point where people feel safe. Because at this point, it's not even necessarily about the numbers. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, those are very important to control. But in a lot of ways, it's about consumer confidence again, mm. right? I think you have to be able to provide an environment where people feel like they are doing their due diligence uh, socially, to protect themselves and protect their fellow man, but at the same token, like live a normal life and get back to doing the things that they enjoy. And you know what's so interesting? I'll bring it back to what we were talking about earlier with Above the Felt. Consumer confidence is a big play. Mm. And as consumers and poker fans who are playing a lot of these poker rooms, when they see you or Darren or Jamie or Chris, like actually actively going to play in these tournaments, yeah. it's gonna make them feel more comfortable to be there. Yeah. Does that I make mean, sense? I, yeah, that's a, that's a weird responsibility to have because I'm not an authority by any stretch and I don't think I have a perfectly informed stance, right? So like I can only be responsible for myself. I only know the risk that I'm willing to take. Right. And I only know like to the degree at which I'm putting others at risk. Right. Like the fact that I've already had COVID and have the antibodies at least for a short period of time longer. Right. Uh, makes me feel a little bit safer and a, a little bit more comfortable. But I don't know. I mean, th this is something where nationwide leaders need to be able to step up. Like at some 100%. point, we need to get that message from the top. I just think the more recreational players see professional poker players playing in these things, mm -hmm. the more they're going to feel comfortable. I actually think the opposite. Really? Yeah. Judging by when it first opened, like when rooms started to open back up in like uh, August of last year or so, it was like 90% recs. It was just businessmen who couldn't fucking take it anymore. <laughs> I got to get away from my wife and kids yeah. or the I wife mean, saying, like, I got to wait, get away from my husband and kids. And they're playing like four handed or six handed. And it's like five of the six seats are just filled by like average recreational players. And then one brave pro who doesn't give a shit if they get COVID or not, who's reaping all the rewards. <laughs> um, like Christian. Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> Christian played like 300 hours in the month of August. Holy shit. Week. Just like couldn't, or maybe more, maybe closer to like 400. I don't know. He just didn't sleep. Um, and like, it was as good as it would ever be. Like, I think that amateurs are more, uh, willing to take risk number one, because they understand it less. 
like just as a professional poker player, you understand risk more, you understand big numbers more, you understand the responsibilities that go with that. But then number two, um, I think that like they live a more uh, insulated life. So for them, this is a huge escape where for us, it's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like nobody's yeah. in a rush to return to work. Yeah. And then there are some people like me that get to do both at the same sure. time and rationalize it. Yeah, yeah. So um, what's next for you here with the Solve for Why brand, right? Poker Out Loud is out the new season. Um, you are hustling to develop even more content and maybe soon enough academies will come back. Who yeah. knows? But what's on the next kind of three months for you and Solve for Why? So folks watching know what you've got in store. Yeah, it's a good thing to end on, I think. Uh, we have a lot in the pipe right now. Um, for those of you who are watching this that already subscribed to Solve for Why TV, you'll be getting an email. Uh, April 1st, we're actually raising our price back up to $50 a month. Um, we're trying to return back to full capacity, obviously. So we'll be increasing our content production. Uh, we'll be releasing a course a month again, as we had been in the past, as well as uh, starting April, uh, three episodes of Poker Out Loud, one episode on Second Thought, covering those three episodes. Um, still our monthly mastermind, our monthly office hours, and things of that nature. We may have uh, some surprises in the content creator space. We have some things lined up in the pipeline. Uh, I don't, I don't want to speak too soon as far as like who may be doing stuff for us, but there are hopes that there will be some new faces to the brand uh, soon enough. Um, we are also in the works with ironing some things out in Texas. So we'll be back there sooner than later, I imagine. Uh, and yeah, as far as the Academy goes, like once the businesses are back to hundred percent capacity around the June ish time, um, assuming that we have that consumer confidence and we can provide them with safe, uh, atmosphere. I'd love to start running academies again. Uh, we may run some academies in Austin and uh, we're kicking around the idea of doing homeschool again, which I think is going to almost certainly happen probably around May-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of, I, I want to make sure that the curriculum is up to date. I want to make sure that it's, you know, altered enough where people are getting their value. And I also want to make sure that I can staff it. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Well, look, this has been fun, man. It's been fun. I'm glad I was here to be able to come on in person. We've been talking about this for a while. You letting me share some of the Faded Spade pivot story and even talk more about Above the Felt and our why behind that, man. And I would just say we're just getting started. Just yep. like Soft Why is in its infancy still, we are with Faded Spade and Above the Felt Enter Entertainment. And if you and I have the ability to continue working together to do good things for this industry and for the business people in it and the players in it and the fans in it, you know, we're going to continue doing it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, also, stay tuned for uh, another episode of Poker Out Loud Vlogger Edition, which drops on Tuesday. Uh, my man, Caleb, the Poker Odyssey, is dropping a vlog on our channel on Monday. Tomorrow, Saturday, on Software Y TV, episode one of the new season of Poker Out Loud drops. And we're going to be bringing highlights to you on all the days in between. So, both of our channels are going to be super active. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to this channel or be a member of uh, Software TV. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of our Slack community, we have that link in the description below. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.